Michael Berghofer is one of the most fascinating people that I have ever met. He's a hardworking triathlete, a very successful serial entrepreneur, CEO and founder of the Pico Strategies family of companies, a loving dad and husband, and one of the most driven people that I know. He has successfully taken one of the diverse worlds of STEM, 3D printing, and turned it into a sustainable manufacturing business in New Jersey. I am so excited to have the opportunity to talk to him for this episode, speaking about entrepreneurship and business, STEM, fitness, and raising future innovators. So the giant question is this, how do we as parents, teachers, school administrators, policymakers, coaches, how do we prepare our kids for a future that doesn't yet exist? All while making them healthier, more creative, more innovative, better problem solvers, and overall successful contributors to society. That is the question and this podcast has the answers. My name is Coach Mike and welcome to the MindFit Method Podcast. Mike, your background is honestly amazing. Uh, you are an entrepreneur, you're an athlete, uh, a husband, a dad. Um, tell me just, you know, for the listeners, where exactly did you get your start? Um, now, before you go, though, I am going to say that there's something that I have not disclosed um, about both Mike and I. So Mike and I met um, at a conference, actually, uh, for um, school boards back when I was uh, president of a board of education. And um, I had the intention of opening MindFit at that point. And um, I'm walking through and there's this guy who has a six foot tall 3D printer that is printing a print of the Eiffel Tower. And the first thing I thought was, oh my God, I have to have that printer. And I wound up walking up to this guy. I had no idea who it was. As far as I knew, he was a sales rep for the company. I had no idea. I had no idea he was the owner. And um, I walk up to him, I introduce myself, and um, it turns out that, guess what? He went to the exact same high school that I did. And to make matters even more interesting, we were both cross-country runners, and we both ran under the same coach, Sabrina Lucas, uh, who is who was a phenomenal coach and certainly had a huge impact uh, on my life from a very early age. So shout out to coach uh, for that. But um, Mikey, you know, you've, you've kind of you've done everything um, that young entrepreneurs want to do and hope that they can do when they're 10, 20 years into this process. Um, so tell me, how did this whole thing start for you? I mean, it definitely goes back transparently. My age, I'll throw it out there. I don't care. 37, but started at nine, you know, nine years old. I was telling, uh, you know, John on this podcast, I was just recently on it. And just like, I started selling ice cream and, and ice pops and candy. Right. And just, oh, I didn't know it was entrepreneurship. I just was like, ooh, money, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know what? It's, you know, next I started the paper outside and that was something that existed at the time and it doesn't unfortunately anymore. But, you know, I started, I brought my sister in. She was delivering papers at first. She took over the route later. But the fact is like, I was growing the, the route. I was going door to door. You know, I didn't mind. I was like, you know, and at the same time, door to door, I was doing that. And then I was like, wait, these clients I could upsell. I could get, you know, raking their leaves. I could get, you know, cleaning their sidewalks, mowing their lawns, right? So, you know, it all started really early. You know, I didn't really take off as an entrepreneur until college dorm room, really, right? I started selling clothes. I was working at like minimum wage jobs, but I would get discounts on the clothes and I would go back to the dorm and make 40%. 
because I would get friends, <laughs> I would be friends with the managers of Abercrombie or whatever, go back to the dorm, sell it for still 20 off of what they would have got it, but I got it for 60 off. So they were happy. I was really happy. And you know, I was doing odd jobs, but you know, so it started at nine and then grew into that. And then really as I was going through college, it was starting to manifest into something else where I always realized there was an avenue to travel, right? Every everything to me is every second in your life is a fork in the road, right? And what we call pivot, like pivoting in, in entrepreneurship is really just the mindset that you adopt. I always call entrepreneurship, it's a it's a way of life and a mindset, right? And, you know, I was, I worked at every single job in a restaurant, but the number one that the two really they're balanced actually in different ways. Social skills came from bartending. Okay. Business skills, business skills came from waiting tables because I got to create relationships, but I also learned to take that relationship and then either get a sale from them. So AKA the tip or get a sale from their friend because I had something or a skill that they needed. And most of the time that was tutoring, right? Okay. That was a lot of time. I was a math tutor. I figured out every bill and not to brag, but I figured out every single check in my head, right? And text. And they said, who are you? I said, (laughs) I just enjoy math. That was my answer, right? It was a humble answer and it was a true answer. And it's always been that way. I tutored a lot of kids off of, off of that a lot. And that's where I started making actually really good money too. And I got a taste for the fact of making maybe at the high 15 to 20 bucks an hour waiting tables. Right. But then when I was making 40 to a hundred dollars an hour tutoring, I was like, wait a second, my skills pay more. Okay. I need to hone in on those skills. I kind of already knew that, but that really, really cemented the understanding of what entrepreneurship was about. You get paid for what you're worth based on the level your skill is at. So as you grow that skill and perfect it and people have a demand for it, right? And they have a need for it and there's a demand, it will exponentially increase your value. So anyways, so it's like from nine years old to that college level and then out, you know, and then I've just learned through trial and error, had plenty of failures, started over a dozen businesses, 11 of them have been, I would say, successful in the sense that I haven't lost money. One, I unfortunately lost. Mm-hmm. And, but that was, you know, that was a great lesson though, expensive one. But the fact is, <laughs> it made me every bit of the entrepreneur I am now and where I'm going. And the fact that I have honestly a seven to eight year exit plan in the sense that I don't have to do all the things I'm doing now anymore, transparently. Mm-hmm. But I already have like an idea of what's next after that. So, anyways, I'll I'll end there with uh, kind of my my story <laughs> and whatnot. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the moral of that story. Uh, number one, you are a living, breathing value ladder, uh, which is amazing because you took your skills and then just built upon your skills and sold those skills to somebody else, which is incredible. And two, I say this all the time, in the world we live in today, we have to stop teaching teaching kids about things. We need to teach kids how to do things because when they have skills, they can then monetize them. You can't can't monetize knowledge today because knowledge is available everywhere. It's at your fingertips 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But skills are something very different. So that's amazing. That is an absolutely amazing story. Um, 
So from your standpoint, I mean, you have two entrepreneurs in the household, which is amazing, and you're both very successful. How do you raise the next generation of entrepreneurs from your standpoint of being driven? Yeah, I mean, it, it's instilling those values. I mean, that's right. Everything I do is the Pico, right? The Pico core values, the Pico journey, Pico solutions, Pico strategy, Pico fit, right? All of these things, all are what we're doing with the kids. I mean, we we know where to draw a line. My wife is from Shanghai, China, right? I'm German, mm-hmm. Italian background. We're known for you know being hungry, right? In, in those those backgrounds. And, you know, but the upbringing is, is different than both of our parents, right? The German is very, very structured. Italian is very free, but it's also very, very like, let's go get it, right? And the Chinese, everyone's heard the saying, tiger mom. And she's no doubt a tiger mom. <laughs> but the thing is, I think with the entrepreneurial side now to her and myself, we balance that where we don't tiger dad or tiger mom in. We just, we just instill the fact that it's that grit, get to the other side. Don't kill yourself to ever to get to the other side, but know how much to push that personal governor, right? That you have. And the younger you learn it, you know, the better. My son is now nine, but the difference between six and nine is huge. And I was even between eight and nine. And I see it in the sports now that he's doing. He's doing soccer and swimming. He's, he's excelling in both. Yes. And it, it's it's noticeable when you see him interact with a coach. I, I happen to be now his volunteer soccer coach, but in swimming, I get to actually see it from the outside perspective. And it's, wow, he listens and he tries to correct 95 to 98. I will never say the word 100 or 10, right? Those are just not in my vocabulary. Right. But 95 to 98% of what the coach say, where a normal kid would one of two things, ignore it or work on some of it. Mm-hmm. But you see his eyes light up and he goes, well, but when mommy and daddy do something, they try to figure out 72 different perspectives to look at it or different options to attack it and just get it, get it done, Right. So I hope that kind of opens up kind of some insight into how we're raising our kid, right? And we have no fear in talking to them about complicated things. I was told by someone in my own car and happens to be a a relative of my wife, oh, why would you have that conversation with a six or at that time, seven years old? I said, because we've been having that conversation since he was six, (laughs) right? Right. And it (laughs) it was literally me teaching him. It was like seven, eight borderline, right? inventory turnover ratio just talking to him about it mm-hmm. he asked me a question at marshall's we went in there trying to get some shoes for for him right but i don't know if you know that but there's no guy or boy shoes in marshall's so i taught him why i taught him why yeah it's probably more complicated than i need to i started off with just understanding logan look at the people in here What's the majority? And he goes, moms. Right. I go, boom. How many dads are in here? Not many. People in here, there's probably only 10 dads. How many boys do you see in here? It's like, uh, about five. I'm like, so you have 15 out of 100 people in here, right? That could be a buyer. 
So why would you buy inventory for 15% of your clients, potentially? <laughs> and then you started to like, oh, okay. And I go, yeah, they want to get their money back fast. So then I just transitioned into the inventory turnover ratio, which is from the managerial accounting that I know, right? <laughs> Anyways, giving that as a great example, I feel that I was told not to talk to my own son that way, but that's, I believe, what we're instilling in a mature conversation and also just having fun because we all love math in the house. He loves it. If he's not challenged in math, he, he, he literally just gets bored at school. He, he has to be given something that's just out, outrageous, right? And, you know, we're both, we both have accounting degrees as one of our degrees. My wife actually practices, right? CPA, tax consultant. And, but yeah, it's exciting to be able to talk about things like that. But that's where I was on my podcast on Thursday with, uh, with John, right. From adapting social. And what I said to him, he's about, he just had his first child. Right. And I'm mm -hmm. like, inclusion, inclusion, make your kids at all times included in everything you're doing. Don't Love that. say I'm working. You go do your, no, if they, if they want to learn, let them. If they want to listen, they want to ask questions, engage. You know, it, it comes Absolutely. back to like the five E's, if you know much about the five E's that they tried in education, right? And they gave up on. But it really is that engagement yep. aspect, right? So that's where, yeah, education in the half's broken. That's where homeschool is like <laughs> taking off. I mean, we're basically homeschooling, right? Well, listening to you. You are. Listening to you talk right now brings me back to two things. The first is the first time I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and listening to you talk right now, you are literally describing the process that Rich Dad took uh, Robert Krasinski through, which is amazing. Um, it must have the second off. thing is it's such a stark <laughs> contrast. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a stark contrast today because what we see um, everywhere, I mean, every time I turn on any type of news right now, all I'm seeing is this new phrase called quiet quitting. And it's all these people who are just disengaging from their job. They're not driving themselves. They're not pushing forward because of how they feel. And it's the exact opposite of everything that you are instilling about drive and tenacity um, in your kids. So kudos to you because that, that is amazing. And that needs to happen more everywhere, not only in this country, but in the world. Um, I, I because yes, our education system is broken. That's amazing. You know, I know you've had multiple different businesses, but how did you first kind of discover the world of STEM and specifically 3D printing and then turn that 3D printing world into an extremely successful business? So, I mean, the 3D printing world, so I'll start with STEM, right? So STEM, I was exposed where in my dorm room, I, I had money because I had a full ride to school, right? I, I monetized my skills, right? I was a runner and a decent runner. I wouldn't call myself a great runner, but decent. So I earned a scholarship, didn't have to pay for college. And just because of the person I am, I work three jobs. That just doesn't fully make okay. sense. But the fact of the matter is I had money in my accounts, right? So I had an opportunity with one of my relatives to acquire his company because I was making it. I was actually subbing out the work he was giving to me to, to other people. He had no idea that I figured out how to automate it to a point that I was making $70 an hour on it where he thought I was making 10 and so I subbed it out to my friends between $10 and $15 an hour and still collected the rest, right? Okay. And then I ended up just acquiring this company and it was a hobbyist educational like wind turbine, right? 
So I still, you know, it's, there's an interesting okay. root to it that it's still there, but I didn't really discover STEM exactly at that point, but I started understanding it about 2009, 2010 and started really engaging in it, but it was really still just, and it still is today. And I'll be candid with that. It's still a buzzword, but totally. it was really a buzzword with no purpose in 2008, 9, 10. And it started even earlier than that anyway. But the point, the point is got exposed there, saw the demand, and then created things, even a STEM interface called STEM Plus Playoff. And that was three years ahead of its time, though, because after three years after creating it, it sold in one year what it sold in all three years, the first three years combined, right? Wow. It was insane. Wow. Because, But that's when you also know that STEM was not anything that anyone understood until about 2013, Right. And so the bottom line, when it come to, or came to all that, I said, all right, this is understanding. And, and we all know that the, the whole thing with STEM was all interdisciplinary. But I saw more. I saw the future of what it was going to do. It was interconnecting different types of kids. That's what I really saw it as. I didn't see it as combining the subjects. That was just a given. There should have been more interdisciplinary elements all along. But the kids are the ones with all those different skills. And that's where I really saw STEM as, right? And that's where it manifested today into what that's what I focus on is not really an interdisciplinary. It's the focus on how do you connect a group of kids with different skills together to get to an end result, right? Um, so anyways, going from early days and in college in 2008, Acquiring that, running it out of my dorm room, having my my roommates as my workers, interesting enough, carrying <laughs> 13 boxes down to the post office and shipping those out. That was a blast before they had pickup, right? And, you know, then we, we moved into 2013. I had this little educational turbine that I was selling and it was paper, cardboard and paper, uh, sorry, and, um, and aluminum wire. It looked like it was made in not even a garage, like a bedroom, right? <laughs> and relatively it was, right, with my dorm. And so that was great, and it worked. It was a small business, and it, it, it could feed me, honestly. I grew it very quickly, but I knew it was going to die, and that's where actually STEM made me realize that, too. If you don't innovate at a certain point in those pivots, you're done because there's a product life cycle. Mm -hmm. so that true. product in the condition it was in was coming near the product life cycle. And I saw it six to 12 months before it started happening. And okay. it happened fast when it happens. It's almost like a recession. You know it's happening, but all of a sudden it just, boom, mic drop. Stops. Exactly. Yep. The noise stops, right? Or the band stops playing. And so in 2013, end of 2012, I also knew I was about to have my first child, right? And I was like, I got I to gotta make a change. So simultaneously, I did two things. One, I made the move proactively to say, I'm not going to be react uh, reactive. I'm going to be proactive. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to find someone to help me create new, a new product. So I went on Craigslist, which today I would never use it, but then it was okay. <laughs> and I found an engineer who literally was a wind engineer. And he worked with me side by side to create a new product 
And during that, I simultaneously was starting a fitness business, right? Where I was a personal trainer. I knew that the kind of guy I was is I can never have only one revenue stream anyway, one income for that matter. That's just never how I am. But number two, just in case something happened, I had my other passion and ability to monetize my skills and go make money. What ended up happening was that business funded this, that, that, the other business and the R&D that I had to work with the engineer. But during that process, MakerBot just really came out, was really big, had stores. I bought a MakerBot replicator in their store, brought it to my small little 50 to 100 square foot office in the city that I was working at. So I was balancing training in the city and, and that engineer was coming to that little office and, and designing it. He was going to wood shops. He was coming back. But now once I got that, he could really prototype fast. It, it literally cut right there three months out of our, our, our uh, timeline. Three months. Okay. Right away. Significant amount of money. And time. They always go hand yeah. in hand anyway. But it also helped cut mistakes that we were already making. We didn't know. So that's where I kind of fell into it and then realized at that point, I was, ah, to Sid, who was my engineer, I said, why don't we make a business out of this? Why don't we just use this to manufacture the product? He's like, and at the time he was completely right. The technology is not there. It might be one day, but it's not. We were having this conversation in, in March, 2013. And it was like, okay, so maybe, maybe the future we can do something later. But for now, I realized two things. One, this helped save my company almost $200,000. And honestly, I was a very, very small company. I could not afford 200 grand. Got it. R&D. And no, almost no companies can, right? To, to create a new product. So we no injection way. molded it overseas, but we prototyped everything on that bridge. And we built the first like 30 units. We redesigned the other products to make it more mm-hmm. marketable and designed a brand new product simultaneously and created two, basically two new products from that, that project. And the 3D printer made it happen, right? It gave us the yep. ability to do it. And so from there, that was how I discovered 3D printing. And then I realized okay. we could do some consulting a little bit on it, but that wasn't very, very successful in the early days because still no one even still knew what they wanted to do with it. Right. And I had ideas, but I, I had nothing to stand on, right? to be taken serious, also a young buck, right? So I still was dealing with that. Age discrimination is a real thing in entrepreneurship. Very real. Sitting down with a principal that's 40 to 60 years old and you're 21 to 23, 24, good luck. Yep, doesn't go so well. But yeah, it it gets crazy, right? So anyway, so that's the story of, uh, you know, realizing I was at 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 a cliff and what else I had to do simultaneously discovering 3D printing. So hopefully that gives your listeners, you know, a good idea of like what I was able to do when I was in a position of crash and burn as an entrepreneur too. Nope. That's amazing. So in the athlete side of you now, did you ever at some point discover that you could utilize your passion for fitness and harness what you're getting out of the actual work you put into the fitness to be able to actually be more creative, be more innovative, or was that something that didn't really work for you? No, flat out. It always has been. I, I already knew that high school, I'll use that as an example. 
my grades were never better than when I had work and fitness. If I didn't have one or the other, my grades slipped. My focus okay. was not there. I would drift. I, I'm not a genius by any means, but I'm not, I'm not on the other spectrum either. Bottom line, I need something to keep me in the game, right? Got it. And, yep. and, and that's, that's huge. You know, it's manifested into something obviously way more, right? And borderline, absolutely nuts. Triathletes, is, <laughs> they, they're literally ranking it and considering it the hardest sport in the world. Yes. Well, I mean, for good reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot. So unfortunately, some people have died doing it, right? You know, it's just heart attacks. The whole nine yards it is tough. Your, your disciplines, or you have three disciplines. You can work out 12, 15 hours a week if you want to even be decent. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, though, but every time in fitness, to really answer your question is with fitness, I've always seen my movement, my success monitor move faster and steady pace, too. Because sometimes when I wasn't focused on fitness, I might have had success, but it was instant gratification and then right back because I couldn't hold on to it because I didn't really actually understand because I didn't have the clarity. And that's what fitness, because that gives you that endorphins, it gives you everything. And you're so clear with what you, your vision and mission are and anything you're trying to do. And it allows you to get there faster and stay. That's amazing. I completely, I mean, my, me personally, I completely agree with you to the point where even when I first wrote the book, um, the first day I went to sit down and write and I had outlined my first 10 chapters and knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. And I found it amazing. I, I sat down and I just looked at a blinking cursor on a computer screen uh, on pages. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. I, I can't do this. And Amazingly enough, uh, I tell this to people all the time, I did not write my book. I spoke my book. Um, mm-hmm. And pretty much every word of that book was actually done while walking and dictating uh, the book. And in the end, it was the only way that I could get it out. And you mentioned it as well, and I haven't really released this yet, but book number two is coming out on my end as well. Um, and honestly, you or the jumpstart of it. I don't even know you realize that. First off, I, you are an amazing mentor. You are someone that absolutely I want to be when I grow up, even though I'm a lot older than you are. But uh, I, um, I did. And you know, people say to me all the time that, um, Mike, you need to, and you said it too, you need to create a MindFit for adults. Um, so MindFit Strategies is currently being written, which is pretty exciting. And um, is... Uh, you know, hopefully in the next uh, 18 months, we'll be out and ready to go as soon as possible. We'll see where it goes. A lot to do between now and then. I love it. The strategy is we are literally mirrored. And it, it's just, it, it, every, it's so amazing. I, I, Sabrina Lucas, Walker Valley, everything. It, it, is, it is killer. I talk about you a lot when I'm thinking about that stuff and like talking about the running background, all this other stuff. I'm big on fitness, but I was never able to tie it to the stem like you have, but I've made, you know, something else out of it, right? Coming up that I'm working on. And that, that's kind of where I want to end up. Yep. Eventually want exactly. to get to a point with this, that I can do that social entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. And, that, and that's one that excites me more than anything. You know, I, I call yep. it my mission, my, my passion, uh, sorry, my, my skill and my passion. Right. And I want to get to my passion. 
but I know that the passion will only pay some of the bills, right? <laughs> when it comes, well, to I'll tell you what. Why don't we make a little commitment right here? So I'm in the process sure. right now of completing my um, my TEDx applications uh, to be able to speak at TEDx. Awesome. And uh, dude, you have such amazing stories. Uh, there's no reason that you cannot be on that stage too. So let's make it happen, Captain. We can do this. I, I'm done with that. I never even thought I should really <laughs> have Emma, who is set up my marketing, get me on some apps on that. Hey, everybody. I'm Coach Mike, and I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, please share it with a friend or family member, someone who you think it could help actually advance in the world of fitness, STEM, learning, and overall creating stronger minds and smarter bodies. Thanks, everyone. Till next time.